Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Mary Schenker. She's the marketing director at Elite Roofing Supply. So Mary, thank you, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, so you you have a great marketing background. So I, I love the topic of marketing. So we're going to have fun here. Excellent. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Now, was, was marketing a, a natural choice for you? I noticed that you, you kind of came out with a, a bachelor's degree in business and corporate communication. Well, back in the day, marketing, when I went to school, there was kind of two different paths you went. You either went to business school, which had accounting and math, and it was kind of the more analytical track, or you went more of the creative route. And it It was in the communication school, which is in letters, arts, and sciences. And so that was more of the route I went. It was was marketing, but it was really more of an emphasis on corporate communications and public speaking and things like that. And in those classes, it's funny because I tended to spend more of my time on my signage and the creative elements that I had to do to back up my speech than the actual speech itself. So I started to kind of think about that and talk to my advisor and it kind of leaned me more towards the advertising side. So I got to take a few classes in college on it, but was always that person who is like, everybody in the room, be quiet. I got to watch the commercials. I really like the advertising aspect of it. And so that's what I studied and, and that's the path I took for marketing. Yeah, I do remember that splitting the business side of it and the creative side of it. It's changed a bit, but I think I, I totally remember that. Now, I see something on your profile. I think well, this is one of your first gigs out of university. And I, I don't want to assume anything, but I'm going to ask you. Your title that you have at that role is production, account, hag, etc. Can you explain <laughs> what that is? Sure. Well. When I got out of school, you know, you're pretty much willing to do anything anybody will have you do. This is back in the 80s. And so I landed a job working for one of the big ad agencies in Los Angeles. And I was the creative coordinator. But I kind of throw the word hag on there because I was willing to do anything that anybody asked me to because I just wanted to learn. And so I was in the perfect spot to, you know, be the girl Friday for all of the art directors and the copywriters and the print production managers. And then if, if the suits, the account people needed help with something, I was always right there to lend a hand because I just was so fascinated by the business. So it was kind of like, I refer to the role as like air traffic control. You are in the middle of everything and assisting all the different departments. And it was just a really great learning experience. And it, thank God for Facebook. I'm still friends with some of the people that I worked with at Gray Advertising many, many years ago. So it was fun. And I bounced from Gray, very large company, worldwide, learned a ton. And then I went to a small creative boutique 
in Santa Monica where literally everybody wore every hat. And that's where I really learned a lot and had just a ton of fun. Really progressive thinkers with the ad campaigns they came up with and the creative won a ton of awards and very fast paced. And it, it was a ton of fun. It was really cool. Wonderful. I, I know that, you know, being coming out of the, the marketing space or being very interested in it, looking at ice cubes and subliminal messages and all those weird case studies that, you know, they're, they're in the past. And then also understanding that when a lot of people going into the marketing world, especially at the big agencies, seeing a disconnect between you know, wanting to, to do the pitches for the clients and being close to the creative aspect and actually the distance to, uh, that someone would have to travel career-wise to get to that position in that massive gap, especially at a larger agency. Was that your experience? Well, yeah. And, you know, the other thing is some of the accounts, you have a client who might be a little stiffer, as I refer to, in what they need, and they really want ROI on it. But you have to come up with a deliverable that's going to give them what they want, but is going to be creative and stand out in that space. And I remember working on a savings and loan account, and it was really different. This was back in the savings and loan crisis. Like I said, it's back in the 80s. And making banking and loans and CDs and things like that, sexy and fun and appealing is not easy. So it was it was a stretch. It was It was definitely interesting. And then to balance that with you're trying to always get more clients. So you want your work to stand out and you want people to know the agency that you work for and you want your customers to be happy. It's a juggle. But I found that I really loved working in a smaller environment where the phone rings three times and everybody dives on it. And you're really involved in the whole process. Because for me, what I've learned over time, the thing that kind of gives me my adrenaline rush similar to like salespeople when they get their purchase order, you know, their blood boils and they get all excited. For me, it's, it's taking that idea that somebody has and watching it turn into something tangible and being involved in all of the pieces of the puzzle. I mean, I just love that. It's so cool to be a part of. And at the ad agencies that I worked at, I got to work with some fantastic art directors and copywriters. And this is back in the day when there weren't computers, when we used to send out for our type and get sheets of type and we had paste up artists. So it was sending things over the fax machine as opposed to now you design it on your computer and boom, the person can have it two seconds later. So the technology changes and whatnot. It was cool. I mean, I, my first two jobs out of college, I was really lucky. I learned a lot and have stayed friends with some of the people at both of them and they're still in the business. And I, I get a kick out of seeing the stuff that they create. I mean, it's fun to be able to create great stuff that makes your client happy and gives them the ROI that they're looking for. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. I've always remember when people would tell me about something that they saw cool on TV or a product they, they have, not knowing that you were involved or we were involved in that and getting a rush out, out of it coming full circle. Yeah, it's cool. It's definitely cool. And then when I moved to Maine, I sort of fell into this niche, who knew, 
of marketing polyiso insulation. And you know, what is polyiso insulation? I, I'm embarrassed to say I can spell it, polyiso cyanurate insulation, but I landed with my knowledge of how ad agencies run into working for a manufacturer and kind of created my own little in-house ad agency, if you will. It was me and, and some other people, helpers in the department taking on tasks. And we worked with a team of freelancers and we kind of mimicked a little bit of how the ad agencies would create things, you know, the creative brief and stuff like that. And it's funny to say that I've marketed polyiso insulation for, well, until now, like 27 years. I mean, that's crazy. Now, coming into that role, you have a ton of new ideas. Were these ideas readily accepted or did you have to work the, the process a bit? Well, I was lucky because our VP sales and marketing was somebody who really connected to marketing and she had a lot of ideas as well. And sort of her philosophy was the building products industry, a lot of the products that people sell are commodity and a lot of companies sell the same exact products. And a lot of manufacturers make the same thing. They just have a different name on it. The chemicals might be slightly different, but it's really pretty much the same product. So the way you have to set yourself apart is with your branding, the personality of the brand and the services and the way you treat your employees and your customers. And so she got that messaging. And so she was always pushing me to push myself to come up with something more creative. Because in the roofing industry, I mean, how often do you look at magazines and every picture you see is the top of a roof? And, you know, it's all the same stuff. So we always tried to step apart and be different so that we were noticed. And I don't know in the time I was there, I mean, we did very few ads with pictures of roofs. It was really more about the personality of the company, the services that we offer and the way we treat our customers and things like that. So I was lucky with my first job. And then she started her own company for my second job that she really got it. And I think it's really important when you're in marketing that if you're working with somebody who understands the power of marketing and the power of really good creative, the sky's the limit to what you can do. So I was, I was lucky. It was a great experience. Yeah. Did, did you say your sales and marketing director started a new company that you went with? Yeah, she started, she was the VP sales and marketing for NRG Barriers, which was a polyiso manufacturer. The headquarters was in Saco, Maine, and then it moved to Portland, Maine. Gosh, it was so many years ago. I think we had seven or eight, maybe six or seven manufacturing facilities. And then the owner of that company passed away and the company was sold. And then a few years later, she started her own company, Hunter Panels. And so a bunch of the, you know, as we call it, the old band members got back together and that was a startup. And that was really cool because we started marketing before we even were making product. And again, it was that small entrepreneurial spirit. You know, the phone rings the third time, everybody dives on the phone. There's not real boundaries of who does what. If you pick up the phone and somebody needs something, you just figure out how to get them either to the right person or how to get them the answer. So it was really fun. And I, I worked for that company for 23 years. So yeah, Wonderful. it was and the other thing I like to tell people 
I'm old. I've been in the industry now for 30 some odd years is, you know, I started when there was no computers there. We were still using overhead projectors, which people nowadays probably like, what in the world is that? And when we started Hunter Panels, you know, that was the day of people were just starting to get in to websites. So here's a marketing director who, you know, was trained old school. And now I'm, I'm having to try and keep myself up to speed with SEO and digital marketing and email blasts and landing pages, you know, and all that stuff. So I've seen quite a lot of changes in my career. <laughs> yeah. So from the early days that you described where everyone's bouncing on the, the phone and trying to answer it before the third ring or the third ring. And as it grows, I mean, what sort of changes have you noticed? Because you, you saw this from the, the ground up. What are the first things that happen when you, once you move out of that phase from a marketing perspective? Well, I think in the beginning, you're trying to set up some systems and some not really tight brand standards, but you're trying to establish like a look and feel for some of the things so that you're not inventing something custom all the time. We were lucky. We had a really cool logo that we could do a lot of fun things with. So sort of the the thing that carried through with everything we did, no matter what the holiday was or what the special occasion or event was, is we could manipulate our logo to work with that. So it's trying to do things like that. And then budgets come into play at the beginning. I call it like guerrilla warfare, where wherever your customers are, you want your logo to pop up whether it's web, back in the day, trade magazines, emails, direct mail, all of those kind of old school methods, you do all of that and you're kind of laying the foundation for the futures so that then you can get more targeted. The technology changes were were challenging because you may know you need to do it, but as a corporate entity, you might not be ready to do it. So we were probably a little slower to adopt some things then. We probably should have been, but I don't know. That's a really good question, Tat. I hope I sort of maybe answered it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's good. I think you mentioned brand standards and kind of trying to be everywhere and then more targeted. So I'm always interested in the transition. So as you're becoming more targeted, as you're thinking further ahead, I'm assuming when marketing organizations pop up, you're trying to figure things out, where are the customers? So everything is kind of like shorter term. And then at what point did it become longer term and how longer term do you think now in terms of planning ahead and and fixed budgets versus open budgets and and flexibility to to, capitalize on short-term opportunities? How do you think through all that? Well, I'm new at the position that I'm at now and I, I have my experiences working for a manufacturer and we went from having open budgets to do what we needed to do to I mean, times have changed and you have to be accountable and there's budget constraints. And then you have to get really picky on where you're going to spend your money and to what customer. And I think in the building products industry, there's a couple of different ways, at least for us, you can look at customers. You can look at on the specification side, the architects, the engineers and the specifiers. You can look at the contractor side, the people who are actually installing the product. And then you can look at distribution, the people that are actually buying it. So with the limited budget, you have to figure out and work with your sales managers to figure out which of those three buckets you want to 
put your spend in. So now I'm working, that was my experience working for a manufacturer. I'm now at a new job. I work for Elite Roofing Supply and they're a distributor. And so now I'm working for the people on the manufacturing side that I used to always sell to. So now I'm a customer of the manufacturer. And boy, doesn't that teach you a lot. I think anybody who's in manufacturing and marketing should spend a few weeks in distribution marketing because really it needs to be the synergy of the two of you because we're buying your product, but I need to promote it to my roofing contractors. And so, gosh, I've learned a lot in the two months that I've been here that I wish I knew for the 27 or so years that I was marketing for the manufacturer. The great thing about Elite is very young company. We're eight years old, growing by leaps and bounds. And again, it's I find myself in that situation where I'm in an entrepreneurial company. You know, it's not quite third ring. Everybody jumps on the phone. We're a little more established than that, but they haven't had a director of marketing before. So I get to set up sort of the branding standards some boundaries on what we're going to do, what things are going to look like. And our customers, it's really simple for being in distribution. It's the roofing contractor. So I'm going to be talking to to residential and commercial roofing contractors and find out what makes them tick and and what makes them pick one distributor over the other. So it's exciting because I'm in a new realm. I've got all this background from the manufacturing side. But now I'm truly right there to the customer, whereas in manufacturing, it was always a step away because your customer was the distributor, but the contractor would ask the distributor for your brand. So it's kind of confusing. Yeah, that's that's good. A couple of questions come to mind. Sure. But yeah, we're, we're fans of Elite. We work with uh, you guys, so we know your culture and your entrepreneurialness is great. But you said, I wish I knew this as a manufacturer 27 years what are the things you picked up what are the key things that you would have said to yourself or passed on branding it's sitting in a, a distribution with our headquarters we're really lucky because our headquarters is also a working branch so walking out and watching trucks get filled and seeing that process and looking in the yard and seeing if there's branding opportunities for a banner to talk about the features and benefits of your product, or when customers come in for customer pickup, a CPU, and they're sitting waiting for their truck to be loaded, is there opportunities to have a video playing or have some kind of a handout or have somebody talking to that person about the products. There's racks of literature, but there's also other opportunities. I think the thing that I learned is there's a lot of opportunity for point of purchase. In a distributor, you know, you're div- you're competing for counter space, but it's about being unique and, and different in how you do that. If you can't get the counter space because there's not a lot at a distributor, there's wall spaces on buildings, there's fence there's fencing, there's all kinds of of opportunities to keep your brand out there front and center. And then the other thing, I mean, you have limitations in manufacturing on how you can package things, but when you look at a five acre yard and you can't, you see stacks of product and you can't read the logo from a distance, to me, 
those products are like billboards. You should be able to see that, that logo really big and prominently. Just, you know, things like that. And then just watching the cycle of how, how a truck comes in, gets loaded and leaves. You know, I always like to think, what can, what can we do to make it easier for the customer? Is there something in the way we package or, or how our product is loaded? Is there something that we, as a manufacturer, could have done to make it easier? And as a distributor now, I just, I noticed those things. Mm, so. That makes sense. I mean, I, I guess you're related. You have a lot of consumer product marketing experience, eye tracking, shelf talkers. It sounds like that sort of stuff in terms of really maximizing the opportunities to, to get those impressions. Yeah. And then it's training the counter help because if a contractor is calling or a contractor comes in, and he says, I need this particular product, that counter guy is going to lean them towards the product or the, the person that he likes the best, whoever he wants to get the sale. Because so much of the products are so similar. And I think the one thing that a lot of people forget is people buy from people and it's a very relationship-driven business. So whatever we you can do for the counter person to have them have a few extra little tidbits of information on, it might be that your product's not better, but it might be the service level that this manufacturer can offer as opposed to this one that makes the experience better for the, the contractor and the distributor. I don't know, but you know, I'm one of those people, my brain doesn't shut off often. And I constantly am thinking of ideas because I ask a lot of questions and I'm observant. And I've been here just barely three months. And I've learned a ton and it's just interesting to see sort of the other side. We used to market to, to distributors and now I'm a distributor and I'm seeing all these opportunities. I would love to call my old company and go, you guys should do this. You should do this. You should do this. But that probably wouldn't go over very well. <laughs> I think like, what are the, I mean, obviously going from a manufacturer to a distributor, you're, now you're getting the distributor's insight. But now as a being in a distributor organization, understanding how manufacturers work, what have you taken in to a distribution house in terms of the, the opposite way? Because you, you told me that you learned a lot being a distributor now, but what are the things you can pull into your distribution role? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. Just some of the best practice things. And again, I've been here three months, so I'm not like, I mean, my toes are in. I'm not 100% submerged so far, but some of the things that I've done is event planning and meeting planning. I've used some of the ideas and things just in formatting and, and technology from the past I've brought here. Because again, I'm lucky because I'm the first person in this world. So I get to kind of make it my own. As far as like sales and things like that, I think the only thing really that I've been able to bring so far is just a different perspective. So if if we're talking about an issue or we're trying to solve a problem or something, some of the questions that I ask are probably based on manufacturing knowledge that I have. And it might, even though it might be not 100% related to the distribution side, it might trigger a question or an answer from somebody. So I think as the different tasks I'll be assigned come up, I'll be able to lean back on the experience that I have through manufacturing and bring some of that forward. But I think 
probably the most right now is just somebody with a fresh set of eyes and a, a clear brain coming in who doesn't have the background and asking questions. Why do you do this? Why don't you do it this way? And then just getting people to maybe think about things a little bit differently. Yeah, for sure. Now, with all the marketing background you have, you're exposed to other companies doing marketing as well. What is the top mistake? Or it could be like a pet peeve that you you have when you watch other companies execute on marketing and you say that. What is that thing that, that stands out? Oh, there's out? a couple. And this one is kind of funny because I am in marketing. I hate when you go on a website and look at something I don't even know what it's called. I'm sure there's some technical name for it. And then that product follows you for like the rest of your life. Like you can't, like they use cookies or whatever and they, and like it follows you. That annoys me. Annoying marketing annoys me. I think people, some companies over communicate and I'm a firm believer of you need to have good content, relevant content, and do your best to get it to the right person. And if it means you're sending out correspondence once a quarter or once every other month, that's fine. But you shouldn't set a cadence of once a week or something like that and just basically sending stuff for the sake of sending it because everybody suffers from marketing overload. And you know when you get 100, 150 messages in your inbox, people aren't reading them. So I would say... I don't want to say over communicating because I don't think that's possible, but I think it's making sure that what you're communicating is relevant on task and not so much about what you need to communicate, but does, does it affect the other person? Kind of looking at it more full circle because I can't tell you how often I hit that unsubscribe button. It makes me nuts. <laughs> and then they keep coming back. It's like, how can I get rid of that? That's probably my biggest pet peeve. And at my old company and even at Elite, we're not going to be that company who sends stuff out just for the sake of sending it out. You need to have, like I said, relevant content, getting to the right people and being purposeful for them. So yeah. So what about you? What makes what's annoying for you? Well, I think I I like strategy. So what drives me nuts is a lot of things that happen in marketing are very tactical related based on new shiny things that appear. And I think I always like to look at things very strategically. And if they have a long-term impact, I know sometimes marketing, you can get, you can capitalize on some sort of short-term opportunity by coming in early, getting in while the ad rates are low or, you know, that that's fine. But I think there's a lot of short-term thinking. The more that I think about marketing or the longer I spent in it, I realized that the best campaigns are almost invisible for the first two or three years. And it's year four or five. And so for me, when I think about that, well, first of all, how do you communicate to your organization that 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 is indeed occurring? And how do you have the courage and the know-how to get to a point where you can run a campaign that long and to see a real impact. That's what always crossed my mind, but I always find the best campaigns seem to come out of nowhere, but they're not. They've just spent a long time setting the groundwork and the foundation to do that. So that's what I've noticed. Like 
the best companies are always remarkably consistent over a long period of time to a point where you, the marketing people, everyone is bored of the campaign. And, <laughs> but the reality is it's just getting through to the customer. And I think that's right. just a hard lesson to remember. Right. right. No, that's good. I'm trying to think of like, if I ever went into a campaign, knowing it would be a long-term campaign and the answer to that would probably be no, because usually it's like you said, it's a short-term strategy. It's like for a year, we're going to market these four product features for particular applications or something. And then the next year, the strategies change. So you come up with what's other products or other services or something. I think some of them may have ended up being long-term, but didn't plan to be long-term when they started. And then it's a matter of how do you refresh it and not say the same message for every, just having it look a little bit different, maybe talk about a different feature or something. But I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And I think that strategy is everything. And even with like my pet peeve with the email marketing, there has to be a purpose and there has to be an end goal. And you can't, unless it's an educational piece where you just want somebody to read it and then do nothing, there has to be some type of goal in mind, some type of call to action. Do you want them to call or download or place an order or get a coupon or something? There has to be a reason that you're sending it out when you're sending something out and there's no call to action. I mean, the only thing I can think of really that fits the bill of having no call to action is price increase letters, which in the industry right now seems to be what we're all sending all the time. Unfortunately, it's like not another one, but when we're doing true marketing, I don't call that marketing. That's housekeeping. You got to have that call to action because you should be able to measure and know if your campaign's working. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you got me excited about marketing. So I was sitting on a call with the CMO of Pepsi. It was very oh, smart. lucky you. That yeah. must have been fun. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. It was it just it just it was a small group. We were listening to him talking about stuff and one of the questions was what worries a big company like Pepsi? And it really, his answer really got to the core of what I understand to, to be marketing. And one of the things he said is, he says, I'm terrified of the company that's regional, that's got a specific insight into the client that we do not have and that we're growing out and they're building a company around that. So they are constantly terrified of these small companies that are growing quickly and always trying to figure out what key insight, what do they know about the customer that we do not know because that is always shifting. So that right. was really good to listen to that because I think these campaigns that are multi-year are based on that. What's that key insight that, right. that we have right. that they don't? And uh, just reminded me that's the core of any uh, campaign is that knowing the customer in that way. So. Well, and it's interesting because I think from their standpoint, you know, there's such brand loyalty. It's like either you're a Coke or you're a Pepsi person. And then if you look at our industry, you hope that there's brand loyalty, but there's also the name of the game on price and availability. And there's so many factors that make it complicated. But know, you're, knowing your customer and, and knowing what helps them to make their decisions is what you need to capitalize on. Yeah, yeah. it's that makes interesting sense. to know Pepsi's afraid. <laughs> <laughs> me, me too. It just gives all of us hope, right? So, right. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. So, I mean, I asked you a lot of things about marketing and your background. Is there any question that I should have asked you, but I, I missed out? Oh, gosh. Well, I'll throw a couple things out there. I've been in the industry. I'm 57. So I've been in the industry for a few hundred years. And I would say my advice to other people in marketing, like the young whippersnappers coming up, ask a lot of questions. I'm one of those people where I can't come up with an ad or whatever the tangible marketing item is unless I understand it. And so I can be annoying sometimes just trying to like understand the sequence or what the application is or what the point of difference is or what do we have that nobody else has or trying to get to that little nugget. And I keep digging and digging and digging. And, and my, my advice to people is dig. Even with commodities, there's a point of difference. It may look, feel, smell, whatever the same, but there's something that makes either your company, maybe it's the way you package it or ship it, a little bit different and finding that nugget gives you your your twist your your marketing um difference for that particular product the other thing being in the industry a thousand years that i wish i had done probably oh gosh was really embrace technology more my kids laugh at me like they think i can barely turn my phone on i'm fine with the phone but i wished i would have taken some classes on indesign in some stuff like that. I just think I would have understood better some of the things and the challenges that I was pushing my art directors and whatnot to do. I would have understood the capabilities. I was lucky in my positions that I was sort of a yin and a yang with an art director. We collaborated a lot to come up with stuff and I had my own creative abilities, but you know, I was like cheating and designing stuff through ways that I knew how to design, which was not in design or anything like that. But I think having a better understanding of the intricacies of, of in design and those things would have been better. I mean, I learned again, I'm old Quark Express, like people probably have never even heard of that. That's like so old school. I mean, and my Apple computer was like this big and, and weighed like 900 pounds. So the world has changed. So my advice to marketing people out there, ask a lot of questions, dig for that nugget and embrace technology. That's probably it. It's not really a question, but it's just it's sort of my very advice. It's a very good answer. It's the same thing when, when someone says someone is good at marketing, I'm always thinking if I don't tell them directly, is nobody is good at marketing. Everyone is good at parts of marketing. Marketing right. is too expansive for anyone to be good at. And that's what makes it interesting. And I think that's why you've stuck with it all these years. And still, I can hear the enthusiasm is in your voice as you sort of embark on this next adventure. Well, it's fun. And I'm, I never knew I would end up in the building products industry. I mean, who knew? And when I tell people that, they're like, oh, wow, you do marketing for roofing distribution? I'm like, think about it. You know, people have to buy products somewhere. Not everybody goes to the big boxes to buy stuff. And it's a small but large market. I mean, it, you know, the people are great people. They work very hard. They have a lot of fun. And I'm thrilled to be with Elite and to sort of have this last chapter of my working career 
be on the distribution side. It's going to be a ton of fun. And you're oh, the other advice you're never too old to learn, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree at 100%. Well, thank you for sharing your knowledge. You're I so certainly got, got some nuggets as well. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Pat's Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes, entrepreneurial tips, and more. See you over there. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.